Chapter One of the Forgery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Forgery by George Payne Rainsford James. Chapter One Introductory. One of the finest characters in the world was the old English merchant. We may and have improved upon many things but not upon that a different spirit reigns in commerce from that which ruled it long ago and not a better one we are more the shopkeeper as a celebrated but not a great man called us and less the merchant as a people our commerce is more extended but the separate transactions are smaller and minute dealings almost always produce paltry minds not at all do I mean to say that the old English merchant is without his representatives, but they are fewer than in other times, both with reference to our numbers and to our extended trade. There are many still, however, whose nations are as vast and as just as those of any of our ancestors, and amongst them, not very long ago, was a gentleman of the name of Humphrey Scriven, he was a highly educated and naturally gifted man the son of wealthy and respectable parents in a class of society peculiar to england the untitled country gentry and he had been originally intended for the church circumstances however are to most men fate he became acquainted by some mere accident with the only daughter of a rich merchant admired loved her and won her love in return he was a younger son but nevertheless her father was a kind and liberal man and he consented to their marriage upon one condition that mr scriven should abandon his intention of entering the church and become a merchant like himself he fancied that he had perceived in the young man a peculiar aptitude for business and he was not mistaken mr scriven became his son-in-law his partner and his successor and well did he bear up the name and honour of the house it was a fine thing to see him some twenty years after his marriage when with the business of the day over he sat in his splendid house in st james's square surrounded by his family and often associated with the noblest and the proudest of the land his wife was no longer living but she had left him four very handsome children she had herself been remarkably beautiful and her husband was as fine a looking man as i could see tall graceful vigorous and possessing that air of dignity which springs from dignity of mind from the moment that five o'clock struck mr scriven cast off all thought and care of business for though there were of course with him as with other men engaged in similar pursuits fluctuations and changes bad speculations failing debtors and wrecked ships still his transactions were too extensive for the loss of a few thousand pounds here or there to weigh upon his mind and being of a cheerful and happy disposition he spread sunshine through his dwelling his family at the time of which i speak consisted of three daughters and one son who was born some four or five years after the youngest sister the daughters were all lovely kind affectionate and gentle in disposition very much alike in person 
and so nearly of an age that it was difficult to tell which was the eldest there was indeed some difference in character in point of force and vigour of reason but the spirit and the heart were the same maria the eldest was a girl of much good sense but of a very humble appreciation of her own qualities and advantages she thought little of her beauty and less of her wealth and her humility mere worldly-minded people looked upon as weakness isabella the second though neither haughty nor presuming was of a far more decided and independent nature but margaret the third was all gentle kindness with much less mere intellect than either of her sisters she had sense enough and principle enough never to do anything that was wrong but not enough worldly wisdom to guard her own interests against her affections the son at this time was a boy of fifteen a sharp clever lad who had been a good deal petted by his mother and had been taught by circumstances to attach more importance to the possession of wealth than it deserves in great things mr scriven seldom made mistakes in small ones he often did and one of his mistakes was in not looking upon trifles in education as important perhaps it is there alone that they really are important for every idea received in youth has a vast development in maturity the seed may be small and insignificant in appearance but once sown it is sure to grow and may spread to a great tree the father destined his boy to succeed him in his counting-house though very wealthy he had no inclination that his son should spend the fruit of his ancestors labours in idleness he had a great idea of the dignity of commerce and henry scriven was taught from his earliest years that he was to be a merchant he was educated with that view and early initiated into business matters could mr scriven himself have given up his time and attention to the lad he might have acquired with all the practical details great views and noble purposes but his father's time was necessarily greatly occupied and he also felt some doubts as to his parental fondness leaving his judgment room to act in the case of his own child at the age of fifteen then he sent him to receive the rudiments of a mercantile education with the correspondent of his house at hamburg this correspondent was known to be a good man of business but he was no more than that and pinning his pupil down to small details and accustoming him to his own limited views of commerce he narrowed all his habits of thought while he gave vast development to certain germs of selfishness which were in the boy's own nature his principles were always to gain something off every transaction never to leave a penny unproductive to buy in the cheapest and sell in the dearest market to look to his pence knowing that his pounds would take care of themselves and being a merchant to regard everything with a mercantile eye he held that no merchant should marry till he could retire from business indeed he regarded marriage like everything else as a transaction and one quite incompatible with the conduct of a great commercial house such lessons always have their effect the pupil sometimes going beyond sometimes falling short of his master what were the impressions produced upon henry scriven will be seen very soon 
but in the meantime his eldest sister maria married she made her own choice and that without ambition having any share in it the gentleman whom she selected was amiable somewhat eccentric but a man of high honour and much feeling he was the second son of one of mr scriven's oldest friends and fellow merchants and maria's father had but one objection it had been arranged that mr henry marston was to go out to india with a sufficient capital to establish a house in relation with that of his father in london mr scriven did not like the idea of his daughter going to india at all but he knew that people are the only judges of their own happiness and as maria had made up her mind he threw no impediment in the way shortly after henry scriven's return from hamburg where he stayed two years the marriage of his second sister isabella took place in this instance there could be no objection on any part as the man she chose was just the sort of person whom such a girl might be expected to prefer he was about ten years older than herself good-tempered but remarkably firm cheerful without being merry generous without being extravagant his property was ample for his father the third baronet had left him a large and unencumbered estate and his mother a very considerable sum in the public funds thus isabella became the wife of sir edward monckton but as his property lay at no great distance from london her separation from her family was not so complete as that of her sister maria the youngest of the three sisters remained longer unmarried although she was fully as attractive both in person and manners as her sisters nor was it that there was a lack of applicants for her hand for some four or five unexceptionable men proposed to her and were at once and steadily rejected much to their own surprise and to that of the lookers-on she was so gentle so affectionate so easily led so over-anxious for the happiness and welfare of others that everybody had supposed her heart would be carried at the first assault perhaps indeed it was and this might be the cause of her remaining single to the age of twenty-four there was at that time moving in the highest ranks of english society a sir john fleetwood who realized completely the idea of a man of wit and pleasure about town he had served with some distinction in the army though he had not seen more than thirty summers was very handsome very lively with a smart repartee always ready a slightly supercilious air towards all men but his own choice companions and a manner most engaging to all women whom he thought it worth his while to please he had towards them an easy familiarity which did not in the least savour of vulgar impertinence a constant display of little attentions which seemed to show that the person who received them was occupying all his thoughts a protecting kindness of tone with a musical voice and a habit of speaking low he danced with margaret the first time she ever appeared at a large party he danced with her again and then he obtained an introduction to her father mr scriven received him coldly much to the poor girl's mortification it might almost indeed be called repulsively and as he saw that margaret was not only surprised by his unusual demeanour to her handsome partner but more vexed than he could have desired her father judged it best to explain his motives at once 
"'You are astonished, my love,' he said, as they were driving home, "'at my coolness towards Sir John Fleetwood. "'But I do not wish to encourage any intimacy between him and any of my family, "'and I wish to make him feel at once that it cannot be. "'I know him, Margaret, to be a bad man, as well as an imprudent man, "'and I should be incurring too great a responsibility were I to suffer him to visit at my house. "'He has had every advantage in life.' family fortune education and he has misused them all margaret was silent for a moment or two and then she said how do you wish me then to behave to him when we meet as must often be the case i suppose he will certainly ask me to dance and then i shall not know how to act after what you have said the customs of society my dear child will prevent your refusing to dance with him unless engaged to another her father replied but i should wish you to be as often engaged as possible and not to suffer any approach to intimacy that you can avoid margaret to the best of her abilities followed the directions of her father but she met sir john fleetwood often she danced with him often and with the best intentions in the world what between nervous doubts as to how she should behave on her part and skill boldness and experience upon his he did not want opportunities of making progress in her regard margaret therefore remained unmarried and reached her twenty-fourth year single but less blessed than she might well have expected to be two days after her birthday her father went out to ride in hyde park his horse took fright ran away and threw him mr scriven was brought home little more than half an hour after he had set out with a compound fracture of the thigh the surgeon said that with his strong constitution and equable temper there was no danger and mr scriven's spirits did not in the least give way three or four days after however mortification appeared and he then with perfect calmness informed the medical men that he felt his life was drawing to a close they endeavoured to persuade him that such was not the case but there are internal sensations not to be mistaken and mr scriven sent for his lawyer and a young gentleman of the name of hayley who had been placed in his counting-house some seven or eight years before by highly respectable but not wealthy relations mr hayley had conducted himself remarkably well and had risen to be the chief clerk of mr scriven's house he approached the great merchant's bedside with looks of sorrowful concern, and Mr. Scriven, after shaking hands with him, kindly, said, "'I have sent for you, my young friend, to give you a little testimony, both of my gratitude for various services, and of my confidence in your character. I am dying, Haley, though the surgeon say not, and if I die at present, Henry, my son, is not yet old enough to manage entirely.' such large concerns as must fall into his hands you are acquainted with all the details i owe you a good deal for your care attention and zeal in my service and i do not think i can either recompense you better or do my son a greater service than by leaving you an eighth share in the business which was that portion bestowed upon me at my marriage there is only one observation i have to make and do not suppose it to imply a censure but merely warning though born of a race of gentlemen 
it is very necessary for you to remember that you are especially a merchant to that consideration you should sacrifice much and it you should sacrifice to nothing your education at a public school has given you several acquaintances of a higher class of society than your own and some of very expensive habits i am told friendships are too valuable to be given up but no examples are worthy of being followed but those of honour virtue and truth i can assure you sir replied Haley, i have preserved none of my school acquaintances of a higher rank than my own except that of lord mellant son of the earl of milford we were first at a private school together then at eton in the same form and it would i acknowledge be a most painful sacrifice to give up his friendship with greater means than myself he is of course able to maintain a much more expensive style of living but i trust you have never observed anything in me which should induce you to suppose i affect to rival him or even to join him in any extravagance however i feel as deeply indebted to you for your advice as even for your kind intentions towards me the one shall be remembered as a guide to my conduct and i do still hope and pray that it may be long very long before the latter receives execution perhaps had mr scriven been at all a suspicious man he might have thought his protege's reply too neat and rounded but ill as he was and by nature generous in his appreciation of other men's motives he was well satisfied his anticipations however regarding his own fate were but too surely realized three days after this conversation his eyes were closed for ever and his son succeeded to a large property and found himself at the head of a firm hardly rivalled by any in the world with the habits of thought which he had acquired the possession of so much wealth and of such vast means of increasing it served to close rather than open the heart he felt an awful responsibility of getting money upon him and of preserving what he had got and all his first acts indicated sufficiently what would be his future course those who were observers of human nature remarked if young scriven is so close and grasping as a mere lad what will he be as age creeps upon him and those who had perhaps calculated upon gaining some advantages over the son which they had not been able to over the father soon gave up the attempt and regretted the change henry scriven's first step was to discharge all his father's old servants and to pay all legacies though he did not scruple to say that he thought his sisters had been somewhat too liberally provided for he then sold the house in st james's square as requiring a larger establishment than was necessary for a young man and he retired to a lodging in brook street comfortable enough but greatly within his means he was much annoyed at the bequest of an eighth share of his father's business to mr Haley, but he took advantage of all that gentleman's knowledge and Haley, soon by mild almost timid manners and active services contrived to ingratiate himself as far as possible with a not very generous person in the meantime margaret viewing with wonder and disapproval all her brother's conduct retired for three months to the house of her sister isabella and then went for some time on a visit to a friend before she returned a letter announced to mr scriven and lady monkton 
that their sister was about to bestow her hand upon sir john fleetwood and as soon as she came back to london the baronet pressed eagerly for the consummation of his happiness isabella with knowledge of the world and strong good sense saw as her father had seen unanswerable objections to the marriage and she urged them strongly though kindly upon her sister's attention but she soon found that to urge them was labour in vain margaret admitted that she knew her lover had been what was then and still is called a gay man and moreover an extravagant one but she assured her friends that he was reformed in both respects and that she looked upon it as a duty to aid as far as was in her power to complete the happy change lady monkton wisely abandoned the task of opposition and hoped but did not believe that the reformation would last mr scriven attached himself to one subject to ensure that his sister's large fortune should be settled upon herself and in this he would probably have succeeded if margaret would have consented even for a few short days not to see her lover or would have steadily referred all matters of business to her brother unfortunately however margaret had lost confidence in him who was now really striving for her good and she would not trust to his generosity while she was inclined to place her fullest reliance on one whose selfishness was only of a more sparkling kind all that mr scriven could accomplish was to have seven hundred a year and a house settled upon his sister though she brought her husband three thousand per annum but that small sum he took care so to tie up that no after weakness on her own part could deprive her of at least a moderate independence sir john fleetwood after the deed was signed laughed with a gay companion and observed that harry scriven was the best man of business in england and on the following day margaret became his wife the after-fate of all the family shall be briefly told in the succeeding chapter End of chapter 1